You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Today, I have Laura F. Kelly, Esquire. She is a professional certified coach and mindfulness instructor whose aim is to help attorneys find joy, balance, and harmony in their practices and lives. She's also a practicing immigration attorney with LFK Immigration. She is the chair of the AILA South Florida and AILA Central Florida Health and Wellness Committee and a member of the AILA National Lawyer Wellbeing Committee and Miami-Dade Wellness Committee. She also frequently presents at various bar associations around the country in order to promote attorney well-being. She's also a Girl Scout leader. I'd love to talk about that. That's amazing. And you can find more information about Laura and her work at thejoyfulattorney.com. And I will have that down in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here today, Laura. Welcome. So tell me all the things. Why law? Why law? Why did you go to law oh, school? Wow. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor. I'm really excited to be here. Um, why law school? Oh my gosh. Um, I always wanted to be a lawyer. I was one of those people who as a kid, just, I don't know. I think my mom implanted that in my brain actually, um, because we didn't, I didn't know lawyer, any lawyers. Um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, and certainly the first person to go to law school. Um, but my mom had always told me you would argue with the devil if he came and told you that the sky was green. And I was like, yeah, I would because the sky is blue. And she's like, yeah, but everybody else would be running away. And I was like, oh, (laughs) that's not an option. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, yeah, I I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. There was really nothing else I wanted to be um, until I became a lawyer. And then I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) let's fast forward a couple of years, right? When, when was the point when you were like, holy shit. I am a lawyer and I need, I need some, some assistance in the like mental health well-being um, space or like, when did you first start recognizing that as an issue with like, not only maybe yourself, but other women, female attorneys that you're working with? Well, I have to say I've, I've always um, struggled with um, mental health issues. Um, I want to say that, you know, I think it's really important to be open about that. Um, because there is so much stigma and it's, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of shame involved in any kind of, of illness, but especially like mental health. Um, so I struggled in law schools really the first time I, I was like, Hey, this is something's not working here. Um, that was first year. Um, and, um, truth be told, I, I, you know, after, after taking the bar exam and I, so I graduated in 2006, took the bar exam in 2006 in California. And, um, I decided to run away. 
I took the bar exam and then I moved to Spain. That's um, a, I love this story. This is fascinating. Yeah. So I, I moved to Spain and lived in Spain for about seven years. Um, and I was, I was a lawyer in California. So I passed the bar, um, but I was living in Spain. Um, and I ended up getting a master of law in EU law in Spain and, um, ended up doing, uh, antitrust law. I was going to say in Spanish, um, antitrust law in, um, for the European union and Spain. Um, but I wasn't an attorney in Spain. I was an attorney in California. So I, you know, my, my, um, you know, career trajectory was very limited in Spain. Um, I speak Spanish fluently. Jurisdictions, right? Those pesky jurisdictions <laughs> like navigate. Well, what? and also the language, like I, I was not, I'm not a native Spanish speaker. I learned most of my Spanish in Spain. Um, but writing legal writing is something that is, um, you know, very different in Spanish. Oh, so sure. unlike English, where we have like the plain English movement, Spanish is as complicated as it possibly really? can be in legal writing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's a, like another level, right? Like a yeah. level of complexity to kind of an already complex situation. Exactly. And, um, and it's funny because I had gone to law school initially, um, wanting to be a public defender. So I wanted to do criminal law. Um, and then I found myself in Spain doing essentially corporate law. (laughs) I was like, what am I doing Um, there? So that was the first real point in my career where I was like, what's, what, what is going on here? Um, and, um, by that time I had gotten married, um, and, um, had decided that I wanted to have a child and, um, really needed to figure out where the next stage of my life was going career, career wise, because it, I didn't see a long-term future in Spain as much as I did end up loving the work that we were doing. It wasn't, um, what I went to law school to do. And I didn't feel like I was honoring my purpose. Um, so what I ended up doing is after, after getting married in, in 2012, um, I did my first immigration case for my husband. <laughs> so he's, he's a British citizen. And I started that, that process with him. And about 30 days after we started that application process, I found out that I was pregnant. So then I ended up um, giving birth to my child in Spain. And literally 12 weeks later, my husband had his visa and we moved um, to the United States. And here you so, are. Did y'all go to Florida? Did you, did you move directly to Florida? We did. We did, Well, we did move directly to Florida. He had um, a job offer here. Um, so it made sense for us to come here, even though we had no family here, um, just a few friends um, from the industry that he was in. Um, <laughs> so it was crazy. But, I, you know, and I was, as you know, the jurisdiction issue. Um, here I am. The there you exactly. are. Oh, no. Oh, no. Exactly. So Sort-of it's like, okay. I'm a California um, licensed yeah. attorney um, with experience in EU antitrust law. Um, you know, there's not a lot of demand for an EU antitrust lawyer in the United States. Time to brush up <laughs> on that family law, those family law skills, right? I'm sure you're <laughs> like having to pick up rule against perpetuities again and having like horrible flashbacks. Well, the beauty of being an immigration lawyer is that I didn't have to take the bar again. So I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned something new. I mean, I learn new things all day. So you did have, or all, all the time. 
what so you didn't have to take the Florida bar to get to, to, to be able to do immigration law? To practice immigration um, before the agencies, you do not need to be licensed in the state that you're practicing in. Now, some states, sorry, yeah. Oh, so that's a, that's a your mind's state. blown. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So there's some states that regulate um, the, you know, regulate it differently. I think there's one state in which they want you to be barred if you're practicing any kind of law in their state. Um, but when I initially started, I, I put a caveat at the end of my signature line, basically saying I'm only, I only practice immigration and nationality law and then I'm barred in the state of California. Um, and that's federal based, yeah. right? So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So that's good. So you were able to do that. You got your, you kind of, I guess, got like your really good first foray in that by having your husband as your first client. Yeah. So I presume, um, did not sue you for malpractice. So not yet. <laughs> he's still there, right? He's, he's a citizen now. He's okay. gone all the way, all the way up. Yeah. He's a citizen now. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. So you should like give you some kind of bonus, right? So that's amazing. Okay, good, good. So you you're back in Florida, you're back in America after being in Spain. Um, and you're setting up your practice, your immigration practice. So that's not, that's not really criminal law. So are you, what, how are, how are things going at that stage for you? Well, I would say it's, it's interesting because there is an intersection of, of immigration law that, um, it, it, with, with criminal law and it's, we call it crimmigration. Um, so it is, it actually is quite, um, there is an element of criminal law there and there's a, 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 you know, social justice is involved in it. So I felt, um, an immediate sense of purpose. Um, and I, when I, I initially, um, you know, I, I want to clarify something that the, the immigration law is more than just practicing before the agencies. We also practice before the um, federal courts. Um, so both the district courts and um, the appellate courts. So to get in, in many jurisdictions and Florida is one of them, the Southern District of Florida, um, you do have to be barred in the state of Florida in order to practice before that court. Um, but at that time, I wasn't doing that, that work. Um, and yeah, I, I felt at that time, um, I felt this love for immigration, even though I can completely admit that I became an immigration lawyer out of convenience. It was, I speak Spanish and I didn't have to take another bar exam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Trust me, <laughs> but I found a purpose. I found a purpose there. Yeah. I really did. Um, and I, I started doing a lot of detained work. So that's very, um, you know, criminal based. Um, most of it is, um, not all of it. There are some, um, you know, quite a few actually, um, non-criminal, um, foreign nationals that are detained. Um, but I really loved, um, the speed of that work, um, the immediate kind of gratification of that work and immigration mm -hmm. law, unlike other areas of the law goes fast, mm -hmm. um, at least in det the detained setting. Yeah. Um, so you see, you know, you, it works through much more quickly than you would see it in, in other areas where you're waiting, you know, years for a court date. Right. Right. So you get that satisfaction, right. A lot faster in this area of the law. Yeah. And at That's the time when I started practicing, it was during the Obama administration and towards the end of the Obama administration, we really had a lot more um, tools that we could use um, to help people in difficult situations without a change in the law. So it was, it was, it was an interesting time. Okay. Yeah. So at what point did you, at what point were you interested in coaching 
and specifically like ultimately getting a certification with life coach school and all of, all of that good stuff that goes along with that. Okay. So, um, <laughs> that's, yeah, this is so much, there's so much here. Um, I, uh, so I was practicing, um, initially with a firm, um, and I wasn't, wasn't happy with the way that firm was run in terms of like ethics and, and it really scared me. Um, so I, you know, after cons- consulting the California bar ethics line, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go on my own and, and run things like, you know, I felt that they should be run. Right. And, um, um, so I was solo for several years and, um, then in t- 2016, um, I was renting space with another immigration attorney and we decided to merge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, 2016, no, 2019, excuse okay. me. Um, so it as you know, together. it's already, yes, <laughs> everything before 2020, it runs together. I don't even yeah. know. Before, yeah. Those were the before times, right? Like, that's what I called it. The before times. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, like we were, you know, we had a kind of a double whammy. We were, um, uh, dealing with the Trump administration, um, and, and, um, the pandemic shortly after we, um, merged our firms together. And, um, it was, it was rough. Um, I would say the la- the, from 2017 to 2019, those, those two years were extremely difficult, um, for all immigration attorneys. Um, and I, I struggled, I struggled with, um, mental health. Um, I actually got sober in September of 2019 because I felt that I was using alcohol really as a, as a, um, uh, you know, self-medication basically, um, to deal with the stress. And, um, I had been at that point, um, seeking coaching. And so I joined, um, the life coach school has a program called scholars and it's like self-coaching, um, where we would get little booklets and go on coaching calls and, um, actually get coaching once a week. And it really, truly transformed my life. Um, I, sorry. (laughs) No, you're doing, no, I'm curious. Did you use their programs like, um, stop over drinking specifically to help you. Cause I'm thinking the stop over eating, stop over drink. Cause I've kind of gone through some of those programs. Okay. Um, no, I, I didn't use stop over drinking, um, by like the program itself, by the time that I actually stopped drinking and kind of recognized it as a problem, I had already gone through the other programs. And so for me, it's like a seamless transition. Um, and I I'm fortunate in that I, the, the drinking was kind of a symptom not the illness. And, um, I, I found I didn't need to do a program, um, on the drinking. Uh, it was, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that it was effortless to stop drinking in 2019, but, um, but there were other things that I had to work through and continue to work through, you know, that, yeah. that the self-coaching, um, helped. And so that pro these, you know, the programs that Brooke Castillo created of, you know, understanding that it's our thoughts, not our circumstances, that create our feelings, which drive our actions to produce our results was like mind blowing, blowing, game changing for sure. For sure. Yeah. So how are you integrating that work initially into like your everyday life and, or practice? Well, basically what I was doing was, you know, um, doing a lot of, um, self-work, um, doing the, doing what she calls thought downloads. So, you know, basically getting my thoughts onto paper, working models, figuring out what my thoughts were really gaining awareness. 
And at this time, I'm also into meditation. So I'm doing a lot of meditative work um, and a lot of, um, of the coaching work. And those two things are, are really very integrated. Um, Buddhist psychology um, and mindfulness meditation um, also has this basis in cognitive behavioral therapy, which coaching is really based on. It's this idea of your thoughts, getting awareness of your thoughts will allow you to achieve whatever you want in your life. Um, getting awareness and being able to make those changes to your thought, to your mindset is really where um, everything flows from. So I, it was integrated in, in every, everything I, I did at that point. Um, but I wasn't necessarily interested in coaching. It just was what, something I used in my personal life to um, have, a, have a better life. Um, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> you know, and I, and I was like, Oh, I just, I, I realized that, um, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, to help people the same way that I had been helped. And, um, so I decided in, in March of 2020 to get certified. Um, and, uh, I had to wait until September. And by the time September 2020 rolled around, you know, we had been almost, you know, um, I guess six months into the pandemic and, um, we are facing a very contentious election. Um, and then for immigration attorneys, um, you know, that election really, um, you know, had weighed heavily on us because um, it, it, it wasn't just politics. For us, it was the, the future of our, our profession and our clients. Um, and that, that I, I felt, and a, a lot of other colleagues felt that that hung in the balance and, and a lot of us were really suffering with that. In addition to having all these tools that we had previously had, um, stripped away and, and practice just became extremely difficult in 2020. Um, and, um, I initially started coaching because I wanted to do, um, wellness coaching, um, particularly around weight loss and exercise. Um, because you know, that's, that's where, that's the programs that I had worked with Brooke and I had a lot of success. I had lost 50 pounds and, um, kept it off and yeah. And discovered that I was an athlete at, you know, 38 <laughs> you know? athlete in all of us. <laughs> there, there really is. I did not know that, but I, it, it turns out. Um, and so that's, I was like, oh, you know, this can really change people's lives to, to, to recognize, you know, how to get, um, control of our eating habits because um, the emotions and eating and exercise are all so, um, wound together. And so that's what I had initially wanted to coach on. And I, I had started coaching on that topic, um, previously. Um, but, but once we were getting into, um, the last months of, um, of 2020, um, particularly September, October, um, I recognized that, um, it wasn't just me who was suffering. Um, my colleagues were suffering and, uh, I decided that this is, um, a really great way that I could help my colleagues is by, by using my coach certification, um, in a way that would benefit them. So I started in December by creating a six week, um, burnout course for attorneys to get the tools, um, to manage their, their thoughts, first and foremost, their time, their boundaries, um, self-maintenance practices so that they could, um, be more resilient in the face of these challenges that we were having, um, in that, in that, in that year. Mm -hmm. 
that's what started it all. Yeah. So let's talk about burnout. (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah. So, I mean, we could go in a lot of directions because I mean, I think setting boundaries can be just, just that one change, right. And learning how to actually set boundaries as a form of self-care. Um, I mean, that's, that's a wonderful topic. I think also though, that burnout is something that so many lawyers, um, are facing, right? Like not, not just immigration attorneys, like from every, from every like walk of life in terms of lawyers, male and female. So how are you specifically helping attorneys address burnout? Well, so there's, I mean, burnout is a multifaceted issue. So there's not one particular thing that causes burnout. Mm -hmm. One thing that I, um, you know, there are different ways of practicing and there are different, um, you know, there are big law um, attorneys, small law attorneys, government attorneys, um, you know, agency attorneys, whatever. There's like the whole gamut of different kinds of attorneys. But I think you're right. Just no matter what area we're in, um, we set, tend to be experiencing a great deal of um, confusion, overwhelm, um, you know, uh, burnout, however you want to describe that, that sense of, um, of you know, dread <laughs> walking through the door. Um, the Sunday scaries. Have you heard people will talk about the Sunday scaries? I have not, but I like that. I like yeah, that. Right. That anxiety that you're getting before the, you're, and you can't even like really put your finger. I mean, maybe there is like a big, you know, meeting that you have that week, but it's just that overwhelming sense of anxiety that you have before you start your week. Yeah. The pressure, the, you know, the, the, like, Oh, the notification that pops up, you know, there's so much, there's so much there. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, um, that I really focus on is initially is time management. Um, because I think so many attorneys, um, I mean, none of us really were taught how to manage our time. Nobody is taught how to manage our time. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction. We, we do our best and we think we're doing the right thing. You know, we create lists, we, you know, um, use post-its, we use all these things that actually end up making our time management, um, more complicated and, and, and actually produce more overwhelm. So the, one of the things I like to do is tease apart different, I would say maladaptive strategies to managing time and, and really say like, this is, this is the way that I've transformed my time management. And, you know, I, 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 I give tips to other attorneys to use these same skills. Now, 
you know, people have to use what works for them and it's not a one size fits all package, but I do think that, um, we have, um, you know, these strategies that just don't work for us. You know, I have a lot of, a lot of clients who use their email inboxes as to-do lists. Um, <laughs> that's not the ideal way to, to do your tasks. It is not um, ideal. It is <laughs> not. Number one, the, the email is not that inbox is not your to-do list. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, I mean, the, the, the number one problem with an email inbox is that every time you go um, back to it is you're going to have more emails. Um, and I actually think one of the number one um, causes of burnout and overwhelm for attorneys is actually decision fatigue. Um, so, I mean, I mean and, and we sometimes it's so pervasive that we don't even realize that we have decision fatigue. Um, but essentially decision fatigue is, a, is, is being exhausted because of all of the different um, decisions you have to make and decisions are just thoughts, but you know, that's not a net neutral situation, thinking and overthinking and planning and deciding it actually burns a lot of our energy um, through our brain. It saps our energy. That's why we can sit at the computer all day long, not exercising anything else, but our fingers and be completely and utterly destroyed. It's because yeah. our brain has been working all yeah. freaking day. I mean, our brain burnt, like, does it not burn calories? It does. I, I was gonna say, I feel like I've heard that. I could be completely making that up, but I, yeah, I feel like I've heard that your your brain like literally burns calories. So yeah, because it needs it. So our, our brains, um, apparently, you uh, they're like three to four pounds, depending on the person, I guess, depending on the size of our heads, um, size of our brains. Um, <laughs> but they, that our, our brains actually burn like 25 or utilize. Let me say that 25% of our energy consumption in our bodies. Yeah. That's crazy. I remember the first time that I really had that awareness of decision fatigue. And I think it, I think it had to do with like, what are we having for dinner? And I was like, I was at like flip the desk point, right. Where I was like, you know, I don't give I, like, I can't make the decision on what to eat for dinner. Like someone just make this decision for me. Right. And I, I remember thinking like, I'm just exhausted from having to make decisions. And I'm thinking that like, because of the pandemic, you know, we have a career where it is so decision-making heavy. Like we're con we are constantly trying to navigate work, but then you throw the pandemic on top of it. I mean, you're, you're having to saw like, well, do I go into the grocery store? Do I wear a mask? Like, should, should I be washing my hands? Like after I touch it, you know what I mean? Like you're always like, if you have children, right? <laughs> like double the decision-making, uh, tack, you know, that that's required for all of that. So that's, that's really fascinating. So how do you work with clients on that? Is it, is it primarily helping them bring awareness to, to that specifically? For sure. Um, awareness is key. Um, but also it's how do, can we, um, look at our, our time management, look at our organization and, um, really figure out how we can minimize the number of decisions, um, we make in a day. So for example, the, the whole thing about the email as a, as an, um, as a to-do list is, is, is really key, um, to, to kind of understanding this. So if you're using your email as an inbox, I mean, <laughs> excuse me, your email inbox as a to-do list, every time you go back to your, your inbox, you have to now decide 
what to do next. All right. So every single time, so you have to reprioritize, you have to make these quick decisions, but not only that you've been, you've been added new tasks because it's like, okay, now am I going to respond to these emails before I do the next tax I have to do? When am I going to respond to these emails? There's just, you know, obviously the brain is an amazing, um, uh, information processing, um, you know, a tool, but at the same time, you know, it, it becomes, it becomes so intense and so intensive that it, it consumes a lot of our energy. So when you can utilize time management tools that reduce that, those decisions and kind of, um, create, um, blocks of time where you can work on one particular thing, really, truly focus and, and trust in yourself that everything can be handled, um, when it's appropriate, um, takes a lot of that, that, decision-making out of the process. Um, you can plan things ahead of time, developing that trust so that you can kind of use that energy you would spend, like figuring things out, actually working on the task. And what ends up happening is the task that you're working on ends up being, um, done in a, in a better, um, more productive and quicker way. You know, when we truly focus, we expend that energy where we need it. Um, a, a lot of benefit comes from that not only in mental health, but just in our quality of work. Sure. Sure. And our self-esteem and our self-esteem. Yeah. So this is, this is really good. So can, let me ask, like, what is your favorite time management tip or tool that, that you could share? Okay. My favorite tip and the tip that I live by is block scheduling. Okay. Um, and so that's one of the things that I teach in, in my course and in my webinars. And if somebody works with me one-on-one, is block scheduling for attorneys. And so block scheduling is essentially getting rid of your to-do list or before, before you get rid of it, you need to put the tasks on your calendar. Yeah. Then you People get are rid gonna of freak out about getting rid of a to-do list, right? Like yeah. <laughs> all these but type the, A personalities are like, no, <laughs> but the to-do list has the same issue as the, um, email as an, I mean, the email inbox as a to-do list. So yes. even if you have a written to-do list, look, I was a big into lists. Um, I, I like to say, I'm so into lists that I would add tasks that I already completed that were off the list. I would add them to the list just to cross them off. You know, it's very satisfying to cross things off that list. Yes. (laughs) But it's, but again, every time you go to a list, especially if it's a handwritten list, right? You have to decide, okay, what next? And how long is this going to take me? And do I need to like move this around or, you know, what, what, what is the most important thing on this list? So there's a lot of decisions to be made. So in my um, program, I, I, um, teach to make those decisions ahead of time before the work week starts, figure out everything that needs to be done. So create a nice to-do list. You get to do the to-do list, but then you take each task and you put it on your calendar in a block. So you know exactly how much time you have to complete each task. And then once, um, once everything's off the list and onto the calendar, you can cross it off or you can, you know, tear it up. And, and from there, you know, exactly what you need to do when you need to do it. And you don't have to make any more decisions about it. Now, obviously things are going to come up. Um, you know, we have to have a certain level of flexibility in our lives, but, um, this takes so much of that decision-making energy out of, um, out, out of, out of your, out of your day. Yeah. And it's almost like increasing automation, right? Like trying to make things more automatic. So what do you say to the person who says, no, 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 or no, no, they say, um, something along the lines of, well, I still can't just commit to what's on my calendar, right? Like, or I still, 
like I'm still procrastinating or I'm pushing it forward on my calendar. I'm still not really take ticking it off my to-do list. Do you have any guidance for someone who may or who may have that uh, challenge? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, those are all limiting beliefs. And like when someone says, um, I can't, um, my, my first thing is like, why would you choose to think that? Right. <laughs> first yeah. of all, yeah. you yeah. know, <laughs> of all the things that you've accomplished in your life and you're telling me you can't do something with your calendar, like, um, right, you right. know, that's a limiting belief. Um, but you know, I do work a lot with procrastination. I do work a lot with, um, you know, what that is often is people putting themselves last. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. You know, um, we lose a lot of integrity with ourselves, um, in our lives. We put ourselves last, especially women. Um, we tend to put everything, you know, and, and people pleasing, there's so many different things and reasons why, um, we find it difficult to accomplish the things that we have set forth. Um, I would say number one is really taking a look at priorities. That is key. Are you spending your time in line with what you say is your priority? Because if you say your priority is spending, you know, time with your family, really being present with your family, but you're on your phone scrolling, you know, it's not, there's no judgment there. Like we all do it, but it's just about getting real about how you are spending your time. Um, and then, um, recognizing that the, the solution here is not to cram more things into your schedule. So I'm not saying, you know, let's figure out a way to cram more stuff in there. We have to be, um, clear when, when someone's already having problems, getting things done, we have to find efficiencies. We have to find um, solutions, but sometimes those solutions are going to be things like delegating. Sometimes those solutions are going to be, you know, simplifying. So, you know, um, maybe limiting the amount of time we're spending on social media, maybe um, spending, you know, having more boundaries around how clients can contact us or when clients can contact us. Um, even, yeah, even boundaries with staff, you know, so there's a lot of different ways that we can um, manage that. And, and that's why as a one-on-one -on -one coach, I work closely with clients to deal with, you know, what are the circumstances and also what are the thoughts? Because again, everything that is a stumbling block, um, usually starts with that thought process. Like I can't, mm -hmm. you know, I don't well, want to, the old right? should, I should be doing this or that. That's always an interesting to work, interesting one to work with. Right. Absolutely. Shooting ourselves all over the place should, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and the self-judgment that comes along with the should, because with the should is there's this standard that you are not living up to. And because of that, you suck. And so we beat ourselves up and that is not motivating. That's not motivating. We think that we have to be hard on ourselves in order to succeed. But the truth is the harder we are on ourselves, the less motivated we are to truly change and to truly like love ourselves. Um, and I, I say in my coaching, um, all roads lead to self-worth, all roads for all of us. Almost everything comes down to that. When we truly embody self-worthiness for ourselves um, and love ourselves, then it becomes much more effortless to um, take care of ourselves in, these way, in this way, you know, developing those boundaries you know, it, and it doesn't mean not being kind. It doesn't mean not being generous. It means just having that, that protection, not only for other people, but for ourselves. Yes. So what do you teach your clients about scheduling personal time ahead of everything else on calendars? Um, what I teach is you put your personal time first. 
That's what, um, that's what I was taught by Brooke. And that's what I carry forward in my coaching. Um, you, you have to put yourself first. You cannot, and I know it, I know it's try or cliche to say, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup and you got to put your mask on first, but like, there was a reason why that's a cliche. It's fundamentally true. Um, you serve others when you serve yourself. So if you are not taking care of you, you really can't take care of other people. So if you want to be a generous giving person, I think most of us do want that. You have to take care of yourself. Um, and so that means, you know, when someone says, I don't have time to work out, like, do you really want this for yourself? Like, do you want it? If you want it, then you have to make time for it and you have to make it a priority. And if you don't, it's okay, but don't hold yourself up to a standard. Again, the shooting, I should be doing this and I'm not doing it. You either want to, or you don't. And if you want to, then you do it and you figure out a way to make it work. Um, and, and it, and it works by you know, figuring out your time. Um, the other thing I would like to say is sleep. <laughs> is, oh, I love me some sleep. So let's talk about sleep. <laughs> sleep is so fundamental. And if you want to, um, you know, the one tip besides time management is, is sleep management. And I, and I would say that the two go hand in hand because, um, what I suggest my clients do is really figure out how much sleep they need mm -hmm. and not, not how much time they, they survive on, but how much time, Different, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much time really is going to, to allow you to be your best, not only the best attorney, but the best version of yourself, the best parent, the best mom, whatever you, you know, you need that sleep. we there's so much research on the importance of sleep, um, in terms of our stress management, our cortisol levels, just everything, our, our heart health. Um, so really making that time working backwards is fundamental, figuring out how much sleep you need for when you need to wake up, working backwards and finding a time, a, a bedtime, just like, you know, just like we were kids finding that bedtime and then a wind down period. I recommend a 30 minute wind down period prior to sleep where you get um, rid of all of um, distractions, all devices you can read, you can meditate, you can just, you know, chill, have a conversation. Um, but you really want to get the devices off, turn the devices off. Yes. I've, I've noticed that like, if I am like addicted to reading something on my device before I go to bed, it's that much harder for me to fall asleep that night. Like, cause I'm just more like on edge. Right. As opposed to like putting it away for a while. Absolutely. Cause you get a dopamine hit. You can get a dopamine hit or an adrenaline hit. If you're scrolling, you know, it seems like oh, I'm relaxing. I'm resting by just aimlessly looking at Facebook, but we know that the reason why, you know, social media is so, um, insidious and so addictive and trust me, I'm, I'm not, no judgment. I'm, I'm there <laughs> is that we, we get the dopamine hit, you know, Oh, I got a like, or, oh, this is really great. I love this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm liking other things. I'm receiving the likes, or we are like, this makes me angry. Um, and then we get that adrenaline spike and now our cortisol levels are elevated. And yeah, of course now we're, now we're, now we are, you know, um, you know, energized and it's not conducive to us sleeping either one of those things. So it is very beneficial to say, you know, uh, I know the iPhones, I think Androids have it as well. You, you could set your bedtime and set your, set your wake up time. And it automatically, you know, goes into a wind down period where your notifications are turned off. And it's a great, great way to like say, okay, this is the time I put my phone away. 
Um, and I, and I have this time to myself to relax, rest and get ready for sleep so that I can have more time, more energy to do the things I need to do, um, the next day. I love that you work with clients on, uh, sleep and, and sleep hygiene and all that. It's so important. I feel like it's definitely people mention it, but it's still overlooked the importance of sleep. Right. And people think, well, I'll just plow through this or like, I'll have my Starbucks in the morning and it'll be all good. But at the end of the day, like lack of sleep, um, like for me, it really impacts me after a few days. 100%. And, and the thing is, that's what we do, right? We, um, so we, we are exhausted. Um, so we sleep in, so maybe we don't, we're not working out in the mornings when we could be because we're so tired and, and, you know, it's a good excuse. Like I'm tired. I'm just going to sleep in great. But now you're not taking care of something else that can actually help you sleep. Um, exercise helps you sleep. Um, uh, you know, but then we get, um, hopped up in coffee and again, no judgment. I love coffee, but we, you know, we're drinking so much coffee <laughs> that we're, um, you know, again, coffee's great, but it also contributes to, um, not being able to sleep well at night. Um, so the more coffee we, we consume, um, the more difficulties we have with sleep. Um, but also it's, it's an upper, um, and coffee can cause anxiety. And so part of the stress and anxiety that we experience is also exacerbated by the coffee we're drinking. So we have like some triple whammies here. We have, <laughs> yeah, we have the not sleeping enough. So we're already irritable and having elevated cortisol levels. Then we're drinking um, coffee to compensate. And that is causing us, you know, more anxiety, more cortisol, more adrenaline. And then we're not exercising to kind of burn off some of that energy. And so we're just like a bundle of nerves and stress and then we ask ourselves, why are things not working? Right. Right. Okay. So listen here, I, I do the exercise. I go to bed early, but you are not taking away my coffee. You oh, are- girl. <laughs> I hear you. No, 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 but no, no. All of these things. I do try to cut it off at a certain point, right. During the day. Um, like, you know, not afternoon. It's not always possible, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I know it's possible, right? That was just a limiting belief, but, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's interesting that you, that you can work with your clients kind of on, on these three different things. Right. And it's like going in there and kind of helping them break those bad habits, helping them get into a, like a state where they're going to bed at a decent time because they've not been jacked up on coffee all day. Right. And they've had that really good workout. And then the next morning they feel good enough to wake up at a decent time. Right. So they can have that, that intense workout, um, or, or whatever. Yeah. It's just breaking that cycle for people. Um, and maybe especially lawyers can be really challenging. 100%. I I think applied, right. This is how you help people. Exactly. It's accountability. It's being there. It's like showing the way it's, it's, you know, um, we, because we're so used to not having integrity with ourselves. I mean, that's really what the, what coaching comes back down to is developing that integrity with ourselves, that developing that self-worth saying, I deserve this, you know, I deserve to have that good life. And, and, and I have to treat myself in a way that ensures that I'm going to have that life that I want. Um, so it's, it's really working with, with those, those mindset issues, um, and accountability. It's, I mean, that's it. It's, it's like, you know, having a partner, you know, as humans, it's really hard to do things alone. It is hard. 
and, and having an accountability partner, somebody who, um, you know, uh, really cares about you and cares about, um, your progress, uh, that's able to kind of have that perspective. I mean, that's what a coach is. If you even think about like a, an athletic coach, you know, it's that accountability partner. It's like that someone who sees a big picture that can call you on your bullshit um, in a, in a <laughs> yeah. loving way. In a but very can, loving way. Correct. <laughs> but we need that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm like, I don't mince words. I'm a very direct person, but like, listen, you know, that's bullshit. And you know, that's bullshit mm-hmm. and it's okay. No judgment. I do the same thing, but let's find a way that, to, that serves us and serves our purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we have purpose-driven conscious lives rather than unconscious, um, you know, lives with, you know, just basically, you know, groundhog day, reliving the same day over and over and over again. And constantly being reactive, right. Being reactive to the inbox (laughs) and at the effect of, you know, reactive and at the effect of rather than empowered in control and, and calm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I love all this. So I want to be really respectful of your time. Um, where, okay. First of all, do I have, can I ask you one more question? Do you have sure. a couple minutes? Oh, I have. Yeah. Okay. What, okay. I need to know, or I would like to know what is next for you and specifically like with your coaching and working with lawyers. And I, of course I would love for people to know where else they can find. I constantly try to keep things updated on my website. Um, just what I, we always like to have a new, uh, free course coming up so people can get the value. Um, I have a podcast that is coming out weekly and, um, yeah, just trying to, um, let people know that they can have that life, um, filled with balance, harmony, and joy. It really is possible even for lawyers. It is possible. It is so possible. So I want to thank you for hanging out with me today, Laura. It's been so much fun. Awesome. Thank you. And you too. Uh, I'm so, so, so excited for you and this podcast. It's really wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.